Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I walked in next day, right? And she looks at me when I walked in and she's just got this like face, right? She's staring at me. She goes, you aren't going to believe this. And I said, what's up? And she goes, the tennis pro that I told you about that we love, that's awesome. She said, he just came in here this morning. She said, he's engaged. He's going to be moving out. She said, we actually, we need a tennis pro. And I was like, wow, this is amazing timing, you know? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, this is kind of incredible. I said, well, how did it work with him? You know, like, what was the deal? And she said, we gave him a little bit off his rent. And I said, cool, how much? She said, well, the rent's $850. She said, we give him 500 bucks off the rent every month. And I said, wow, awesome. I said, I said, you know, this 850, you know, rent and the 500 off and the 350, you know, I said, why don't we just, you know, wave it, right? Like all together, just wave it. I'll move in. We can keep the momentum going. And she goes, what? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Molly, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Absolutely, man. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure to have you here. So I, uh, it's funny because I was trying to remember like what it was that got my interest about your story. And, you know, 90% of the choices I make are always based on personal curiosity. It's like one line in the bio that gets me. And <laughs> I remember, so I went and looked, I was like, why did we, why did we want to have this person? I was like, oh yeah, that's right. So somebody introduced you as the female Jerry Maguire, which we will, all of which we will get into. But before we get into that, I want to start asking you, what did your parents do for work? And how did that shape and influence the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, my um, mom was a school teacher. She was a speech pathologist in the Lansing schools in Michigan. And, um, you know, she loved it. I mean, she was a speech pathologist for 35, 40 years and was great at her job. I mean, worked with learning disabled kids, speech uh, impaired kids. Um, And my dad was a salesman. He was a pharmaceutical sales rep for Roche. And, uh, you know, so he, you know, wake up early and leave the house and run around, as he would say, and pedal drugs to docks, you know, show up with donuts in the morning and try to get a meeting. Um, back then, it's changed a lot, of course. But, you know, and it's funny. Uh, and, and then I had two brothers. I have two brothers who are uh, five years older than me, identical twins. Um, and, you know, it's funny. I grew up in a home where I mean, t- so, so much love. Uh, just incredible parents, parents that my husband and I wake up and I know personally for me, I, I really try to be as much like them as them as I can be. I mean, too, just unselfish, kind, giving, loving, humble people who put their kids first uh, consistently day after day. And, you know, with twin brothers who were five years older than me, who treated me a whole lot more like a little brother than a little sister. And, <laughs> you know, and so, I mean, like, in, you know, and, I, and and parents who were you know, very supportive, but let, let us be independent, you know, let us fail 
and allowed us to, you know, sort of fail and recover and, you know, leaned into that. And, and so, you know, like I remember what my first day of kindergarten, I mean, you think about the first day of kindergarten for kids today, right? <laughs> and what that might look like, you know, my brothers walked me to my first day of kindergarten and the, you know, doors hadn't opened for the school yet. And they just left me there, you know, for 15 <laughs> minutes till the teacher came. I mean, you know, those <laughs> kinds of things don't happen today, right? So, you know, and if I jumped in the pile to wrestle with my brothers and dad, which were always, you know, kind of, you know, wrestling in the living room or, you know, my dad would just pop up his head and look at me and say, hey, look, if you get in here, just be ready to get yourself out because I'm not going to save you if you start crying. And and it was like (laughs) that was sort of the world that I grew up in. I mean, right. Like they they, uh, you know, I'd come home from school with a. I'll never forget. I come over from school and, and uh, I, I had gotten an A minus on a, like an exam. And, uh, you know, I, I was, school was hard for me. I mean, I had to study pretty hard to do well and work hard to do well. And, and my, um, I was so pumped because I got an A minus and, you know, there was only like three A's or something in the class. And, you know, I come home and I'm like, mom, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, man, I got an A minus on, you know, a science exam or something. And she said, that is awesome, honey. And, and then she kind of looked at me like, and again, with love and all that, but she said, what do you think those people that got an A did? You know? And, and like, and it was said with love, right? Like when I tell people that story, they go, whoa. But she said it more just kind of helping me know, huh, what do you think they did to get an A? And I wonder, I just wonder if maybe it's possible for you. And, you know, so it was this loving, but yet, you know, my dad was tough, but you could sit on his lap and eat a bowl of popcorn together. And he loved us more than anything in the world. So I just uh, have a lot of admiration for the kind of home my parents created um, for us. So, so that was, you know, and, and we, you know, we lived in the same house all through our youth. I mean, all of that's kind of stuff, fairy tale stuff, right? So I'm grateful for that, right? I'm grateful for that. What, what kinds of career choices do, do they encourage? Because I, I think, like I said, I mean, the fact that you were referred to as a female Jerry Maguire, that was immediately what caught my attention <laughs> because, uh, you know, I mean, just like, you know, my, forgive my ignorance. The only thing I know about the sports world comes from my excessive playing of NBA 2K20, <laughs> uh, but I, you know, and then of course watching Jerry Maguire, but you know, I know largely this seems to be a very male dominated industry. Sure. So I, I wonder about the career advice that your parents gave you growing up. Like, how in the world did you end up on this trajectory of all things? <laughs> right. You know, I, they they really, more than anything, I learned from watching them. You know, it's funny, the work that I do now. I mean, my mom, having been a teacher, right? I, I teach a little bit at some level, right? On the stage, you're sort of, as a speaker, you're teaching. We have training programs, you're sort of teaching. You know, but yet my dad was a salesman. And certainly as an agent, you know, it's heavy loaded in your ability to sell and convince athletes and coaches to to trust you in many ways with their career. So I, I feel like I'm sort of this mix of both of them, but you know, it was funny. I, I mean, I played tennis at Michigan state and I loved it, but I was really just a preferred walk on and, and was really lucky to get a shot. And then I got on the team and there was a couple injuries and I had an opportunity to start and play right away. And that was amazing and, and loved it. And then captained the team by the time I left. And then after I graduated, you know, I looked at my mom and dad, you know, I'd grown up in East Lansing, went to Michigan State, literally two miles away from a house I grew up in. And, you know, I think when I graduated from high school, uh, my tennis team gave me, you know, a quarter, which at the time was how you would call people with a payphone, right, to call my parents. And I 
know, I mean, they just sort of never thought I'd ever leave or ever really maybe even grow up. I was so close to my mom and dad. And so, um, so anyway, after I graduated, I looked at my parents and I said, you know, I, I really want to be in the sports space. I'm fascinated with sort of how it works, the mindset of peak performers. Um, you know, and I'd always sort of been a tomboy and with two older brothers and all that kind of stuff. And so I said, I think I'm going to move to Atlanta because the Super Bowl is coming to Atlanta. The Olympics is coming. There's a couple pro teams, a couple sports teams. I think I want to try to move down there and see if I can find a job in sports. And, you know, my parents were awesome, but we were a Midwest family. I mean, they were a middle-class family. I mean, they were like, okay, this is cool, but how are you going to pay for your little experiment to go find a dream job in a 750 miles away? You know, because we're not paying for it, right? And so I taught tennis all summer in town, saved 2,000 bucks, got my Honda Accord, drove to Atlanta, lived on the couch of a friend's apartment to try to find a job in sports. And a girlfriend was down uh, working for the Atlanta committee for the Olympic games. And she said, you can sleep on my couch for a little bit until you kind of figure it out and find a job. And it was this teeny little apartment where my coach had given me the names of three people in Atlanta who taught tennis for a living. And she said, look, I know you don't want to be a tennis pro, but call these people up and maybe they'll help you. And I always really on thought, you know, how can you, you know, maybe if you ask for advice, maybe you get a job, right? And if you ask for a job, you know, what I found is you end up with advice, not a job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I started, you know, I picked up the phone that first morning in Atlanta. My coach had given me the names of these three tennis pros. I called this first guy, really nice guy. And as I was talking to him, he said, you know, Molly, I don't know if you know this, he said, but in Atlanta, tennis is a big deal. Like people teach tennis at their apartment complexes for a little bit off their rent. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes like, the apartment complex lets them teach to all the people that live there. And then they give them just a little bit off the rent every month. And I was literally like, dude, I got to be straight with you. I'm calling you for my friend's apartment. I slept on her couch, right? Like that sounds like the kind of deal I need right now, man. And he goes, you know, and then he kind of paused and he goes, you know, a buddy of mine just got engaged. He's getting married. He's going to be moving out of an apartment complex that's near where you are. He said he, you know, is going to be moving out. He goes, but I don't think he's told the manager of the property that he's leaving. He said, but he teaches there every Tuesday night. And I know they give him a little off his rent, their rent. He said, you should go over there and check it out. So I literally like hang up the phone, drive over to this apartment complex. I walked in and the manager was there and I sort of introduced myself and said, I played, I taught, I taught a little bit. And I asked if she had a tennis court and if she used it to teach to the residents. And she said, um, yo, yeah, we have this pro. She said, he's amazing, right? He's been here for, for a while. People love him. He teaches every Tuesday, you know, for an hour and a half. And I'm like, yeah. And I said, okay, cool. And I said, well, look, you know, if anything changes, right, with like him in any way, like, let me know, because I would love to talk to you about teaching here. And literally she looks at me and goes, oh, yeah, totally well, but we're good. But appreciate you coming by. You know, thanks. And so I give her my homemade business card and leave. And as I'm driving back to my friend's apartment, I, I drive onto this bridge and I see this what looks like kind of a mom and pop little local pizza place. And, and it was really close. And I thought, God, I wonder if they sell pizza at that apartment complex because it's so close. I mean, they should be killing it at this apartment complex because there's, you know, 700 units or something over there. And so I pulled up my car and walked in. This place was called Perro's Pizza in, in Atlanta. And I said, hey, I said, is Mr. and Mrs. Perro here? right? Just sort of guessing, thinking that was safe. And out comes what, who a man I know very well now named Charlie Perro. And I said, Hey, Mr. Perry said, yeah. I said, Hey man, do you sell a lot of pizza to that apartment complex right there? And I just pointed out the window and 
he looked and he goes, well, I mean, a little, I don't know, but not a ton. And I said, well, gosh, Mr. Perry, you know, there's like 700 units. There's probably over a thousand young people, you know, over there who would love dinner for 15 bucks, I bet. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, what if maybe you gave me, let's say like 15 pizzas a month for free and I give them to people that come to the tennis clinics that they do every Tuesday. And I said, we could get people excited about Peros. Maybe you'd give me a coupon. I could give that coupon to people that come, you know, that they had this newsletter that I'd seen when I was in there. I said, we could put the coupon in the newsletter and you know, sort of drive traffic back to Peros. And he said, wait, so like you want 15 pizzas for free once a month and you'll take a coupon and you'll put it in that newsletter that they give to all those 700? I said, yes. And he literally goes, well, I love that idea. He said, deal. And I go, okay, awesome. I said, but here's the thing. I said, Mr. Perro, I don't actually have a deal over there yet. I said, but I'm really close. So when I get it, I'll come back and we can lock this thing up. And he goes, well, Oh, well, I like it a lot. I mean, I really, I go, no, 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 I promise you, but just do me a favor, keep it between me and you and I'll be back and we can get this figured out. And he goes, okay, cool. And he like, looks at Mrs. Perro had walked out by then and he sort of looks at her like, oh, I like, I like this. But so I leave and I go back to my friend's apartment. I call my buddy at Wilson Sporting Goods who gave me gear in college and sort of begged him to put a box of goodies together from Wilson and send it to me. And he was super kind and he said, no problem, I will. So he sends me that. Well, I go over to Kinko's and I print these newsletter tip, these tips I'd written for a newsletter in Lansing, um, Michigan, where I grew up on you know, how to hit a forehand, backhand, super basic little tennis tips. But I thought to myself, I've already got all these 50 tips written. We can put these in the newsletter, you know, to get people pumped about coming to the tennis clinic. And maybe she could even use that to get people excited about it who hadn't moved in yet. And I could help her fill empty apartments. And so I print those tennis tips. Well, the next day, my box from Wilson arrives at my friend's apartment. So I get in my car, I drive over with my box of stuff, my tennis tips. I walked in next day, right? And she looks at me when I walked in and she's just got this like face, right? She's staring at me. She goes, you aren't going to believe this. And I said, what's up? And she goes, the tennis pro that I told you about that we love, that's awesome. She said, he just came in here this morning. She said, he's engaged. He's going to be moving out. She said, we actually, we need a tennis pro. And I was like, wow, this is amazing timing, you know? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, this is kind of incredible. And I said, well, geez, I was just dropping off this box of stuff from Wilson. These guys are amazing. You know, we could give this box of stuff, but we could give all this stuff away, like a hit for prizes program. I'd done this in Michigan. I said, we could do that. She goes, cool. And I said, these are these tennis tips. We could put them in the newsletter to drive traffic, you know, to the, to the, to the clinics. And maybe when you've got people that are thinking about moving in, get them excited about the program. And she goes, dude, this is awesome. She said, this guy that we had, like he was amazing, but like he didn't give giveaways and he didn't write tennis tips. And I said, well, how did it work with him? You know, like what was the deal? And she said, well, he taught every Tuesday for an hour and a half to anybody that wanted to come that lives here. And she said, we gave him a little bit off his rent. And I said, cool, how much? She said, well, the rent's $850. She said, we give him 500 bucks off the rent every month. And I said, wow, awesome. I said, listen, you're not going to believe this. I said, but you know that restaurant right across the street, Perro? She said, yeah. I said, man, I talked to those guys. I said, they give us free pizza once a month. They give us like 15 or 20, whatever. We could give them to people. If you'd let me, I'd take a coupon, put it in the newsletter, drive traffic back to Perro's. I said, everybody, you know, kind of wins. And she goes, geez, like this is all, like this guy didn't do this stuff. And I said, no, this is great. I said, but like, 
you know, this whole like 850, 500, because she had told me, she said, he'd just write a check for the difference of 350 every month. And I said, you know, this 850, you know, rent and the 500 off and the 350, you know, I said, why don't we just, you know, waive it, right? Like all together, just waive it. I'll move in. We can keep the momentum going. And she goes, what? And I said, let's just wave it. I'll move in. I said, you know, we can keep it going. She goes, well, I got to go call my boss, you know, and see if we can do that. And I was like, yeah, no, that's cool. I'll wait. Right. So she goes back, calls her boss, comes out like five minutes later and says, you know, you're good to go, right? Like you're good to go. And so I move into this apartment complex for free immediately. I lived in this apartment complex for nine years, literally, and didn't pay rent. I taught tennis every Tuesday night, except when it rained to the residents. What that did was it gave me an opportunity to you know, have a little bit more bandwidth. And so, because I removed obviously one of my biggest expenses. And so the first job I got was literally making $600 a month working for the Super Bowl host committee. So literally, you know, as I said on my resume at the time, I was the liaison between the commissioner and the transportation committee, the volunteers. And the truth was I answered the phones at the Super Bowl. And, but inside of that six month window, uh, answering the phones at the Super Bowl, I met all these incredible leaders in Atlanta who were running and, and, and a part of the Super Bowl, you know, from the you know, CMO at Coke to UPS to Chick-fil-A to Home Depot to Delta to all these incredible people. And I built great relationships with them during that window of time and began to sort of build a network. And long story short, you know, use that same philosophy of how do you ask for advice? And when you ask for advice, you get a job. You know, how can I get them to like and respect me enough to want to help me or hire me? So fast forward another year, I did a couple odds and ends things. I worked at a high ropes course doing team building work. And then I got an opportunity with a small agency in Atlanta. They had about four clients at the time. When I came in, they had three NBA coaches and one baseball player. And I got in front of him through, you know, a lot of different sort of networking uh, relationships. And, and he hired me to come in and do endorsement and appearance deals for the, for the clients that we had at the time. And after about six months of going and sourcing deals for, for the athletes, for the athlete and the, and the three coaches, I went into his office and I said, how are we planning to grow? Like, and he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, like, get more clients. I mean, if we, if, if we can get more athletes and coaches under management, you know, that's how we can really grow. And he said, well, we've done that through referrals, you know, and at the time it was, you know, Chuck Daly referred Mike Fratello and Fratello referred Lenny White. And he's given me these. So, well, you know, what if we got more aggressive and we have a baseball player? What if I could, you know, Georgia Tech has a great baseball program. What if, what if we could, you know, start with some guys coming out in the draft, get those guys and, grow with them and, and, and continue to build it. And he said, well, you know, yeah, but what do you mean? And I'm sure he was looking at me, right? Like you alluded to as, huh, you know, you're a female, you didn't play. How is this going to work? And so I put a business plan together uh, to build a baseball division initially and he blessed it. And I really spent the next five years, you know, really recruiting young guys. I mean, like many of us, right? You don't go out. I certainly didn't go out and try to get A-Rod or Jeter out of the gates. You know, I was down on the fence at Georgia Tech trying to sign young guys coming out in the draft that year. Signed a first rounder, then a third rounder, and then the next year, a second, a fourth. And then it just continued to percolate. Those guys percolated through the minor league system. And uh, I would go see them and they would bring their buddies to, to dinner or to lunch or to you know, and I got to know those guys. And then I started to, you know, do a little bit of the things that I did at that apartment complex, right? How do you sort of act like you have the business before you have the business? You know, how do you behave in a way that sends a message to the people that you want to work with? 
and the people that you want to serve that you matter to me. And I want to help you. And I want to make your world a little bit better. And and then my baseball division got to kind of a critical mass and I needed help. I needed help because I had gaps. I mean, I hadn't, you know, I didn't know what it was like to be a minor league ball player. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what it was like to get, you know, yanked in the seventh inning uh, for not, you know, doing what I needed to do on the mound. I didn't know what it was like to, you know, get injured and get, you know, sent down. And so I hired a guy that had played at a pretty high level that came in to help me grow my baseball division. And then I sort of did the same thing with golf. And then I did the same thing with college coaches and then did the same thing with broadcasters. And, you know, 20 years later, I had 300 athletes and coaches and, um, you know, it was wow. an incredible journey, but it's a long answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, no, but a, a fantastic one. I, so many questions come from that. So we know a lot of you have been listening to us for years and it means the world to us. What we do here at the unmistakable creative wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. If the podcast has been valuable to you, one of the best ways you can support us is to subscribe to Unmistakable Creative Prime, which gives you access to transcripts, all of our courses, monthly coaching calls, live chats with our guests, and an incredible community of creatives. And it costs less than you spend on a cup of coffee every month. For the school teachers and people in our education system, Prime is completely free to help you with this transition to teaching online. We've packed it with a ton of value and actionable content, and we hope you'll check it out. Just go to unmistakablecreative.com slash prime to learn more. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash prime. I mean, there's like an audacity to you that I think is rare. And I wonder, I mean, the fact that like just the fact that you would even suggest to somebody, you know, to say, why don't we just waive my rent? So like nonchalantly, you know, like I admire that. That That's impressive. Like I, I you know, um, you know, and I'm Indian. Indians are notorious for asking for ridiculous bargains. Like my dad literally went to the Mercedes dealer and he was like, you know what? He was like, why don't you throw in another car for free? Um, you know, that's the kind of stuff my dad will say. Like literally, I sure. remember when I went to get a cell phone, I was like, Hey, you have a Google Home there. I'm like, this is a private retailer. I was like, how about you throw in that Google Home for free? And the guy looks at me. I was like, man, I'm Indian. This is the way I was raised. <laughs> um, but this is like a whole other level of audacity. Like, where does that come from? Um, how do people, can people develop that? Like, is that something that you can actually cultivate within yourself? Yeah, no, I absolutely think you can develop it. And, and like you, right, you've probably learned a lot from your parents, from your dad, as you said. And I think I learned a lot from my mom and dad too. I mean, I saw my mom, you know, at the grocery store trying to check out with, you know, expired coupons and, you know, the lady would look and say they're expired. And then I'd watch her just work the lady at the cash register and get her to take the coupons. I mean, (laughs) you know, so I just grew up with it. Um, And, and, and I began to just sort of see it as fun, you know, fun Mm -hmm. to try to sort of convince folks to do, you know, those. So I just, to me, uh, it was fun. And, and I say it's fun as long as you're honest and authentic and all those things, yeah, right? That's what I was going to be my next 100%. question. 100%. I mean, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it was my mom and dad. And then I think what you find is the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, right? Like, I'm sure you can relate to that, right? The more that you practice in little moments, the better and, and, and sort of more confident you get in the big ones. And, you know, I, 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 I think I watched it and then probably I tried it in little moments. And then I had more confidence to try it in bigger moments. You know, I had more confidence to, you know, you ask for the free rent, but all those things translate to, you know, hanging up the phone with the San Francisco Giants when the best offer you have for a middle infielder is 3 million. And you tell them that you got another offer over here for twice that. And, and, uh, you know, and, and you have to go over there and try to sort of figure that out. And so, um, 
because your player wants to play for the other team, not the Giants or whatever it is. I mean, so, you know, you take those moments of getting 850 bucks a month waived and those build to $100 million contracts or $50,000 deals and then $100,000 deals and then $3 million deals. And then, you know, so they all build. And I think the more that we lean into these moments with a little bit of fearlessness, um, the stronger that it's, it's like a muscle, you know, fearlessness to me is like a muscle. And sort of what you're saying is, gosh, it sounds like you were a little bit fearless in those moments. And I think the more that you do it, the stronger you get, the more confidence that you get, the more comfortable you get. And then in fact, the more that you do it. Yeah. I mean, I think to me, it's more audacity than fearlessness, which is, is, you know, even a more remarkable quality. Uh, one thing I wonder, this is something that I think, you know, many of us who are, are boys or men, you know, we grew up watching sports, you know, we grew up watching Michael Jordan and I'm the weirdo who honestly, like, I don't watch sports, but I play sports video games religiously, like daily. Like, I don't know what's going on in the NBA, but I play NBA 2K20 every <laughs> So all of my knowledge. Well, right now there's nothing going on in the games. NBA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> even, even more so, but. Um, I think that, you know, when we see uh, the world of professional sports from the outside, right. uh, it appears to be this very sort of glamorous, you know, nothing but moments in the spotlight, making millions of dollars uh, sort of picture. But I know that we're only seeing, you know, like we're seeing a very filtered version of reality. What do people misunderstand about the reality of what it takes to perform at like a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant level? Like what actually goes into this? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think they don't see all the little moments. I mean, they don't see all the little moments that build up to the big moments. And as an agent, I consistently saw all the little moments. You know, I saw the, I mean, I'd, I'd have a guy call me on his way to the field and, and tell me how bad his hamstring hurt. And then I'd watch him step out and go four, three for four from the plate, you know, or I, I'd see a golfer that, um, you know, who, who had just had a, you know, very hard loss, maybe in his family personally, and then watch him go out and top 10 a golf tournament. So I saw all the little moments and the world saw all the big moments. And, you know, the truth is all those little moments are, are, are the process. And I think the more that we can lean into the process in life, that's what gives us the strength. That's what gets us the wins. You know, I love like Nick Saban, the head coach at yeah. Alabama, like he doesn't talk about winning. What he talks yeah. about is all the behaviors, all the mindset, all the things that you have to do just to win. And so, you know, to me, it is, it is the little moments that build up to the big moments. And, it, mm -hmm. you know, it, it is remiss to think that those big moments don't happen with all kinds of heartbreak, all kinds of failure, all kinds of challenges, all kinds of obstacles. But what drives them to find a way through it is a clear purpose, a clear why, you know, a clear belief that, man, when I get there and I do this, this is what I've always wanted. And, you know, because all of us, as we try to be a little bit fearless in life, or as we try to lean into tough moments, or as we try to lean into change or all those things, that if we have a clear why, as it relates to uh, why we're doing what we're doing, we can do extraordinary things. But if we don't have a clear why or a clear purpose, I think it's really hard to do extraordinary things. So, you know, I, I saw the belief, you know, John Smoltz was a client forever. And, and, um, you know, John always believed, you know, that he wanted to be on the mound in game seven of a world series. And that when he was, you know, he could throw 80 or 90 pitches and 
sit guys down and position his team for a win. He believed that. So, um, you know, I think that that mindset component is imperative um, to our ability to recover from adversity and certainly for our ability to, you know, to be our best selves. Yeah. Well, so it, in a, a field where, you know, it literally is survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. I mean, for every kid who's like a high school star, the odds are probably like incomprehensible, probably so low. Because, sure. you know, I mean, I, I don't remember what movie it was. Maybe it was a, a, a documentary or something where it's saying, you know, like most of these players come into college and it's very like the likelihood that any of these college basketball players are going to the NBA, you know, is extremely low. Right. And, you know, you brought up purpose. So sure. how much of this in, in cases where you've seen, have you seen people who for them, it's about, you know, sort of the fame, the fortune, all the sort of accolades that come with it. And, you know, I, I saw a documentary once about the NFL draft. And like, like I said, despite not watching sports, I'm actually fascinated by the inner workings of mm-hmm, all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the two documentaries about the NFL draft, which I'm probably sure you've seen the, the year of the quarterback with Tom Brady, sure. which was mind-blowingly cool. But yeah. I, I remember this other documentary um, and it was basically these, these kids trying to make it to the draft. And, you know, there was a kid who graduated. It was like, I mean, I think he was like, you know, a star player at a fairly big school. And, you know, I think there's some sort of training camp that they go to. And on draft day, he finds out that he spent the last 25 years of his life working towards something that's not going to happen. You as an agent have to have seen that. Sure. How do people recover from that? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I, (laughs) what I saw more, um, you know, I mean, I represented guys who did, did make it into the big leagues, right? Who didn't work 25 years and not get there. I represented guys that got there and that's why they needed an agent. But I did see athletes, um, you know, have career ending, ending injuries or athletes who just mm-hmm. needed to retire and step away. It was over or coaches that got fired at, at one level and could maybe not ever get back to that same level. You know, I think um, I, I really believe that it's got to be more um, than winning. I think it's got to be more than that. You know, it was funny. I remember sitting with a tennis player once and, I asked him, you know, what does success look like for you inside of this journey as a professional tennis player? And he said, well, I want to be number one in the world. And I said, that's awesome. And I said, so, you know, that's once you're number one in the world, let's pretend you're number one in the world. Is that enough? And he goes, well, no. And I said, so let's just pretend on your tombstone. It said he was number one in the world. I said, how does that feel? And he goes, yeah, that, that looks ridiculous. <laughs> and I said, well, so what do you think you want it to say? And we sort of went through this, this exercise, right? And I sort of kept peeling it back with him until what I realized is for him, tennis was an opportunity to give back to his family, to, to create an environment for his family that was really unique and special for him to to take his family to tournaments with him and, and spend time in these really cool, you know, different markets together. It was so much more to him than being number one. And I sort of just kept asking him why, you know, why do you want to be number one in the world? Why do you want to win tournaments? Why do you want? And what you often get when you keep asking why with people is you get to the real purpose, to the real root, which is because I want to have a kind of life for my kids that I never had or whatever it might be. Everybody's purpose is different. But I think 
when you know your why and it's bigger than what you do and it's bigger than your own identity, it's, uh, it's, it's a better place to live. It's a better place to show up. I mean, I think about athletes who have a hard time retiring, you know, and, and stepping away. And to me, it's people that maybe that is their identity. And I think we all in our own lives have to be really careful with that, that if our identity becomes our work, who are we when our mm-hmm. work goes away? If our identity yeah. becomes that we're a, you know, an all-star pitcher, who are we when that ends? Because it'll end, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's why I think your purpose has to be rooted often in, in the way that you show up and serve and support others. Uh, because I think that oftentimes really is what fills a lot of us up, most of us up. Yeah. Well, you as a tennis player, um, I know you had to have read open the Andre Agassi yeah. uh, memoir because Seth Godin refers to it like plenty of people in our, our field refer to this as like a, a seminal you know, sports biography, even if you don't you know, like sports at all. But I think that the thing that fascinated me about that book was the opening where he literally opens it by saying there's something that I should let you know. I hate tennis. <laughs> so how is it that somebody who hates something so much manages mm-hmm. to rise to the top of it uh, at that level? I, I mean, and, and you know. Like, why would anybody continue down that path? Yeah. You know, I don't know, Andre. I did read the book. It was fascinating for me um, to, to read it, but sad too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's probably why he's married to Steffi Graf, right? I mean, it's probably the only, you know, they can relate to each other. I mean, I think they both grew up. I don't know as much about Steffi, but in, in, in homes where tennis was sort of their whole life. You know, how can Andre get that good? I mean, I think he can get that good and be, have that much success just because he was born and bred and wired that way. You know, his dad only bought houses that they could put a tennis court in the back of. I think it was all he knew. I think it was the only path he knew. And I think, you know, when you're good at something and you have success at it, you kind of want to keep doing it, even, unfortunately, maybe if it's not filling you up. But I think it says a lot, the fact that I don't think his children play. I don't think he wants his kids to play. Um, So, you know, I think you can get really good at things um, like Andre did, but I would argue he wasn't ever fulfilled. I think he had a lot of success. And I think what a lot of us want in life is fulfillment more than achievement. He achieved Mm -hmm. a lot, but I bet if you sat down with him one-on-one, he would say he wasn't ever really fulfilled in what he did. And I think there's a really big difference. I think there's a really big difference between achievement and fulfillment. And I think that's why we've got to make sure that we're intentional about delineating between these two, those two. You know, I wrote a book called The Energy Clock that released in January. And one of the things I talk a lot about in it, which is what you're sort of alluding to is, you know, kind of this whole, like, what are you chasing mindset? You know, what are you chasing? Because what you find is, you know, chasing number one in the world, once you get there, it's still not enough it still doesn't fill you up enough. It's temporary. It's like for salespeople, right? You can close a great deal and it's amazing for a minute or two, but then you want to go get the next one and the next one and the next one. And so you just keep chasing. And so I think you've mm-hmm. always, got, always got to take the time to pause and say, what am I really chasing, right? Like, what is this all for? And what is this all about? And have the, have the courage to do the work around it, to get the clarity um, so that you know really what your why is. What are you chasing? What is your purpose? You know, I'm a big proponent of having, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Organizations have mission statements. Most all organizations do. And it's, it's almost like this rite of passage. You know, if you, if you, you know, have an LLC or an S Corp or whatever it is, then, you, you know, then the, one of the first few things you do is you go and you create a mission statement. 
throw it up on the wall. You know, but yet it's so interesting. And 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 some organizations lean into that and vet everything they do through it. Some just throw it there because it looks good. Um, but I think as people, we need mission statements too. We need purpose statements. We need vision statements. We need those things too. It's funny how people know it's common practice in an organization to have a really clear vision and a clear purpose. But yet, why isn't it common practice for us as people to also have a clear purpose and a clear mission statement that, that we thread our decisions through, that we thread our behaviors through, our thinking through, our beliefs through? Uh, to me, that's you know important too. Yeah. So you alluded to, um, you know, when you're talking about Andre Agassi, you know, you talked about being born and bred that way. And, you know, this is a, a conversation I've had with multiple people. So one of my old uh, mentors who is, you know, basically responsible largely for where I'm at today, um, we had this really interesting conversation about the difference between talent, you know, uh, and um, environment as well as probability and possibility. And he said that, you know, we in the self-help world, sell this sort of mantra of, oh, anybody can do anything. And he said, it's just simply not true because we're not all born equal. Mm -hmm. As a scrawny Indian kid, (laughs) I could go and I could do LeBron's workout routine every single day for the rest of my life. (laughs) I am never making it to the NBA. Sure. Sure. So I guess that, you know, um, as far as, you know, building skill at that level, like what is it that allows, enables that sort of level of peak performance? Like what's the training that goes into this to the point where somebody actually gets in your office and it's like, okay, now I got a shot at the pros. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, to your point, I mean, I, you know, it's just sort of talent plus other things, right? I mean, Andre has obviously a ton of talent. I mean, he was fast, you know, he was athletic, he had great hand-eye coordination. He had all that that God gave him, but then he also married it with discipline and and work ethic and commitment and, and belief, you know? So, you know, we, 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 we all have gifts. I believe we all have gifts, but we've got to take that gift and marry it with other things. And when you talk about the other things, to me, the other things are things like clarity. You know, one of the things that, that I saw the best athletes do is they, they were really clear on who they gave their energy to and who they didn't. And, and it's been interesting to me, you know, as I sort of, spend less time like day to day in the sports world, but but it was fascinating because in the sports world, the the linchpin for success is is managing your energy. You know, you read about Tom Brady, I mean, he is intentional beyond belief around the way he spends his energy. Less so maybe um, the byproduct, right? Is it 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 helps him with performance. I think you see athletes say, I, I had a kid who came out in the draft, he was a stud comes out in the draft, 18 years old, out of high school, signs for a whole bunch of money, and he's supposed to you know, have great success in, in Major League Baseball. And when he comes out, I'll, I'll never forget, I'm sitting in my office with him, and I'm like, hey, look, you know, we, we could do a tops deal. We could do an autograph signing deal. We could, you know, there's, there's endorsement opportunities, uh, you know, whether it's equipment that you use on the field or, or uh, you know, other deals that we could do with non-sports-related you know, sports related brands. There's all these things. And this kid at 18 years old looks at me and goes, look, what I know is that if I go out there and put up the numbers I can put up, if I do what I know I can do, everything else will be there later. I really want to put my energy and focus on making sure I perform on the field. And it was brilliant because he was managing his energy really well. You know, to me, what are the things they manage their energy incredibly well? They're very intentional. They control the controllables. You know, they, they recognize what are the things that I can control? I control my attitude, my mindset. I can control 
you know, uh, the, the, the story that I tell myself, I can control so many things. I'm going to lean into the controllables and let go of all the noise. You know, the best athletes, you know, don't read the paper. They don't read and get sucked into the negative press or the news or they don't, they don't, they, they just literally block it out. The best ones do because they know that if it's not going to serve them or help them perform, it's just no. noise and it's toxic and it's negative. So they're really clear on who they give you know, their energy to, I think they're really disciplined as well. I mean, they're disciplined and uh, about the way that they prepare, you know, they prepare so that when they find themselves in tough and challenging moments, they're ready for them. And they prepare for the good and the bad. I remember Billy Horschel telling me, uh, Tiger Woods told him, you know, Billy was telling him, but before tournaments, I'll lay in bed and I'll, and I'll play the whole round out in my head. I'll play the whole, whole thing. I'll, I'll play Thursday's round and I'll shoot a 67 and then I'll play Friday's round and I'll shoot a 66, you know, and then I'll play Saturday's. And he tells Tiger all this stuff and Tiger listens and he goes, dude, that's awesome. And of course he wins every tournament he plays in his mind. Right. And he says, okay, that's awesome. And he says, but Billy, do me a favor. He goes, dude, visualize yourself tied for the lead. You're in the trap on 18 and you've got to get up and down to win. Visualize yourself getting out of the trap, draining the putt and, and, and winning. Visualize that too. Visualize, in other words, you were saying, visualize yourself recovering from adversity too. So, so they're disciplined and prepare incredibly well. Now, the other thing they do incredibly well is they recover from adversity, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the best baseball players in the world, they're going to go all for four sometimes, but you know what they do the next night? They go two for four, one for four. You know, the, the best basketball players in the world are going to miss free throws and lose games at times. But what they do is they get in there the next day, they, they drain 100 free throws, and they believe that they can. You know, the best coaches are going to make bad calls, right? I mean, but you, you, they, what they do is they're disciplined and intentional about their recovery, and they don't let it unravel. I think we, we oftentimes in life, right, can get in our own heads. You know, a lot of times when I'd see athletes or coaches or anybody struggle, it was usually in their mind more than it was physical. Certainly sometimes it's physical. You got to change your swing or whatever, but a lot of times it was mental. So they're super disciplined uh, mentally um, about the stories and, and, and disciplined about their ability to recover really fast. And, and then I think, you know, they're bold, right? They're a little bit unafraid. You know I mean? Like I think about, you, you know, a lot of the best athletes in the world, they love, they love coming up 18 on Sunday of the masters leading. They love it. They love it. There's a whole lot of people in the world that be really scared of that moment. Now, it doesn't mean they're not nervous, but they lean into it and say, I got this. I've practiced all my life for this and I'm going to finish like I know I can. And so they're, they're, they have courage in that way. They want the ball. You look at the best pitchers in the world when the manager run, walks out after, a, after they walk a guy or two and you watch those guys in that moment. When, the, when they're looking at it going, dude, you've thrown 79 pitches, your velocity's dipping, you've just walked two guys, it's over. Give me the ball. I'm pulling in a reliever. You see the face of the pitcher when they have to hand the ball over? The really good ones hate it. You know, they'd stay out there till their arm fell off because they just, they, 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 they have courage inside of tough moments to, to, to deliver and they want the ball in those moments. So those are a few things that come to mind. That's a great question. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've alluded to Tom Brady throughout this conversation. So, you know, I, I can't, you know, get out of this yeah. conversation with you without asking about this. So <laughs> I think the thing that struck me most, there are two things that really struck me in the year of the quarterback documentary um, was there was this moment uh, where Tom Brady, you know, I think this was like day one of practice at the New England Patriots, like the coach at Michigan had called and said, you'll, you'll never regret drafting this guy, even though he's like the sixth round draft pick, right? He went like 199th. Right. And 
he walks up to Bob Kraft, you know, who's the owner of the Patriots, and he says, Mr. Kraft, my name is Tom Brady. And, and you know, Kraft looks at him and says, like, I know who you are. He's like, I'm going to be the best decision you've ever made. And that always stayed with me. But then, you know, if you look at all the other quarterbacks who got drafted that year, who went before him, none of them survived the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like, what accounts for that? Yeah. Like, how is it that that, like, you know, I mean, this is a person who literally could have been completely overlooked and never made it to the NFL. And he happens to be the best quarterback probably to have ever played totally. the game. How does that happen? Well, yeah. I mean, and the story keeps going, right? Then he's holding a clipboard the next season. Bledsoe goes down and mm-hmm. now he gets, you know, the spot. And he, yeah. in my opinion, he prepared and he believed. He didn't get that job and think, I'm just, I'm just popping in for, for the starter and I'll give him this job back. He stepped in behind that center and said, I'm absolutely never giving this job back. I'm never giving this job back. And he believed, I think, so much that his center wanted him to be successful. His linemen wanted to block for him. His receivers wanted to catch for him. He believed that much. He, and he prepared for it. He believed that he could, he could perform at that next level. And, and, and you hear stories like that. I remember I had Dabo Sweeney on my podcast, and Dabo is an incredible human being. The head coach at Clemson you know, won the national, won national championship. Great guy. And, and Dabo said, he remembers when they fired the head coach and the AD walked down the hall and said, hey, look, you're our guy. You're stepping into this job. And literally Dabo said, you know, it, for a second, right, he wanted to throw up. And then for a second, he went, oh, my God, I've been waiting all my life for this. He had been building a, you know, file, a massive file of when I am a head coach, these are the kinds of things I'm going to do. This is the way that I'm going to behave. This is where I'm going to manage my staff. This is where I'm going to run practice. This is where I'm going to watch film. This is where I'm going to do everything. So when an hour later, he walks into that athletic director's office and literally is like, I'm ready. Here we go. This is what it's going to look like. And so he was prepared and he believed. And I think, you know, for people that are listening, when we find ourselves in, in, in different moments in our own lives, right, whether it's a salesperson or a leader, you know, I believe people can tell when we believe or not. You know, those those guys who played for Brady with Brady, they could tell if he believed that he belonged there or not. They they could tell. And he believed. And so it's hard for them not to believe in him. So, you know, uh, belief and preparation to me in those moments are indicators of your ability to 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 make it work and make it work well. So I have one other question about this sort of area in particular. Um, I remember hearing an interview on a podcast with Jeremy Lin and he said, you know, the same thing is sort of about the glitz and glamour. He said, what you don't realize is he said, this is a job just like any right. other and any given day we could be cut. He said, you know, we basically are, um, you know, if we're not scoring well, he said the possibility that we're not going to have this job exists every single time we get on that court. A hundred percent. And, 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 and I think that's part of what motivates. And a lot of times when you ask these guys and gals, you know, what motivates you, right? Are you more afraid of losing or is it winning that motivates you? And I think some of them, they would say they hate losing more than they love winning. You know what I mean? And so uh, I think that, that that rings through to them consistently. They hate losing more than they love winning. I mean, to me, that's, you know, that's a pretty powerful thing. So, um, so that's a powerful thing, but remind tell me that what tell me that question though one more time. 
Well, I mean, it wasn't a question so okay. much as it is, is a comment, but I, I think that, you know, when we, he said that people often think that, you know, we basically are just like partying and living it up like rock stars oh, right. because we're professional sure. athletes. Sure. And he said, you know, the reality is he said, because, you know, I, I think that I, I think back to that, you know, scene in any given Sunday where Jamie Foxx is talking to Lawrence Taylor, which you say, for a person who doesn't watch any sports, <laughs> I know a surprisingly yeah, you do, large man. amount about You're not giving yourself enough credit. Sports. Um, but I actually genuinely find watching sports on TV mind numbing. I like watching them live. Okay. I just don't like watching them on TV. So I don't know anything that's going on. Sure. But I remember that scene where, you know, he looks at him and he says, you know, for every Jerry Rice, for every whoever, there's a million people nobody's ever heard of. And he's like, that's what mm-hmm. makes up the majority of these leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that's the part of it we don't see out from the outside world. Right. Like, what is it? I mean, are those people who aren't in the spotlight, which I'm assuming is what makes up the majority of these leagues. Uh, I mean, what is the contrast for them versus, say, you know, a Michael Jordan or Kevin Durant? Well, I think, you know, the contrast is, I mean, one, they're still living a dream for them. I mean, they're still living yeah. a dream, right? I mean, they're 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 playing a sport at a professional level. They're making anywhere from a half a million on up, right? And and they get to play a game and and make that kind of money. So, um, you know, I, I think. I think they're still living a childhood dream and maybe they're not in the limelight, but they get to wake up every day and, and, and go, you know, and what, and what's funny is what I find guys miss and gals miss more than anything is just the time with the other players, the time with the other athletes. That's what they love the most. You know, the difference, right. At some level is that the Brady's and the Durant's and those guys, I mean, they've just got, you know, it's like with success comes challenges and, you know, they've got more people asking them for money. They've got, they've got more stuff pulling on them. They've got, you know, I always used to joke with my players. I mean, they're like part-time ticket brokers, right? Because, you know, they're trying to dish out tickets. They're trying to navigate family. People are leaning into them for all kinds of stuff all the time. So, um, you know, there's gifts in it, but there's, there's, you know, I mean, there's challenges in it too, um, obviously. Um, that, yeah. But what the best do, right, is they, they put really good people around them to help manage the noise so that they can stay focused on what they need to do to perform on the court or the field or the course. I mean, that's what the best ones do because, you know, my role as an agent was to make sure that all my players had to do was do what they did and, and love their families and, and, and everything else we tried to take care of because I knew that if everything else was off their plate, then it's a lot easier to stand over a putt on Sunday and drain it. If, if you're not worried about a lot of other things. So minimizing those distractions, I think, is what, what, what the Durants and the best do that, that get there. And then most importantly, that stay there. Mm-hmm. So there, there are a couple of things that, that I wonder about this. You know, um, it seems to me like you know, you're like partially a psychologist and a therapist <laughs> right. to these people, given the nature of your relationship with them. Uh, I mean, what happens when you have sort of a, a Tiger Woods situation where, you know, shit just blows up? And I mean, you know, I, I do appreciate the fact that you mentioned these people lead very public lives and people want things from them because Brady mentioned that in his interview with Oprah. He said, you know, it becomes very difficult to know who wants something, you know, who wants to be in your life because you're Tom Brady and who wants to be there because they want to be. So, I mean, how do you how do you manage that aspect of this? Uh, and then the other question I have is, you know, you're a sports agent and, you know, we're seeing a lot of interesting things with kids these days in sports. Like, mm-hmm. especially when you see some of these documentaries, you know, there's um, a documentary about either <clears throat> helicopter parents or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And there was another one about AAU basketball mm-hmm. um, and this kid Parker Cartwright was in it. And it was like, you're just watching how hard these kids are being pushed um, both in, you know, high school football or even mm-hmm. like junior high football mm-hmm. in Texas, like, which, you know, I know, cause I got the shit beat out of me <laughs> playing football. So I stopped right. like, within, you know, 
six weeks. But, uh, you know, I mean, you're a sports agent, you've made a living off of these people, you know, and they provide us with millions of dollars of entertainment at the same time they put their lives on the line sure. constantly. Sure. hundred yeah. percent. You know, I, I mean, to your first part of your question of, of, you know, people always wanting something. I mean, it's so true. And, um, you know, it's sad even when you see the people that they thought loved the most are now asking for things uh, from them. And, and, and that's why I think you see, you know, sometimes like, you know, athletes marry their high school sweetheart because it was this person that knew them before they ever did anything. And so they have, they trust that they love them unconditionally, regardless of the fact that they're making, you know, a million bucks a month. So that, that you see a lot. And it's, it was kind of an interesting trend that I often, you know, would see, but you know, they're, they're they're, they just have to be really careful and they have to put people around them that can help vet, you know, who's authentic and who's not, who's real and who's not, who's full of it and who's not. Um, and these guys actually, it's amazing in real time in their own lives, they get really good at it. I mean, they can cut through the clutter of people who are sort of bullshitting them really fast. The good ones can, most of them can, because they've just had to. Um mm-hmm. You know, in regards to kids and helicopter parents and all that, you know, my uh, husband and I have three teenage daughters and, you know, they all play sports. And so I see it, you know, I see it firsthand as a parent. And, um, you know, it just the truth is it, it absolutely breaks my heart because I think sports is an unbelievable conduit and metaphor for life. I think it's a, a it's a training ground. It's a it's a platform to learn. It's a platform for kids to learn how to be a part of a team, how to take feedback, how to recover from adversity, you know, how to deal with challenges, how to play a little bit hurt, you know, how to fail and, and get back up. I mean, it's all of that. And you need all of it in life, right? You need all of it in life. And and so I feel and and what I want so badly is, you know, it is is for kids to to, to allow and for families and for parents and for leagues and for to allow sports to be what it should be, which is a metaphor for life, which is a training ground to, to make great human beings. And oh, by the way, if they happen to play, you know, at the college level, awesome. You know, if they happen to play at the pro level, awesome. But, you know, it's, it's going to end, right? Like, I mean, you see these parents pressing for their kids at the college level and I get it. I mean, some of them maybe. That's the only way the child's going to go to college. Um, but, but what I believe is, gosh, you know, sports is a powerful metaphor uh, and, and just a place that we can all learn so much. The things that I learned growing up playing tennis, you know, I played basketball and swam before that, uh, were, are, all serve me so well in business and life today. And I, um, it breaks my heart because I feel like we're missing that a little bit now um, because of the amount of, of pressure. And, and, you know, you see, you know, the, the number one reason quids, kids quit sports is the ride home. <laughs> it's the ride home with mom and dad, lighting them up, asking them, why did you do this? Or why did you do that? Or why didn't you hit that shot? Or why didn't you do this when your opponent did that? I mean, it, you know, and so I guess if I had anything to say, it would just be, you know, no, it, it, the ones that are really good, John Smoltz, his parents had, they, they created a very loving home environment for him, but John did everything else. You know, I, I, Carly Lloyd is a friend. I mean, Carly Lloyd's parents didn't push her. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I didn't play at that level at all, but I can tell you, I mean, my parents, they were like, look, we're working late. You can ride your bike to tennis if you want to go. And I did, you know, so it, it, the ones that are really going to make it and make it, you know, in my opinion, 
um, are the ones that are, are, are and that are going to be fulfilled, not just achieve. And I think there's a big difference. We talked about that are the ones that are driving yeah. the bus themselves. And they're the ones that are going to lean into and reap the most benefit. But the other thing I think is important is, you know, I, I don't know the stats on this. I need to look them up. But I mean, my understanding is that, you know, a lot of the football players that are drafted in the NFL played a lot of sports. They didn't just play football. A lot of the baseball players mm-hmm. that are drafted, you know, in, in the draft played a whole lot more than baseball. And we're seeing so much overuse of, 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 of different body parts to prepare to, to potentially play at the college or, or, or pro level. And, you know, playing multiple sports, um, it, you know, makes you a, a, a better human being. It makes you a better teammate. It, it, and it makes you, it protects your body a little bit. You create, you know, strengths in places maybe where you're weak and, and all that can serve you. But um, to me, you know, if I had a magic wand and could wish for anything, it's that kids could play a lot of different sports, you know, now like we did when we were young and, yeah. and uh, that parents would let their kids drive the bus and just encourage, just encourage support, encourage support and maybe ask questions, but, but allow them to drive the bus. So I have two last questions for you. I, I think that it's kind of surprising. We spent a lot of time talking about sports and peak performance. One thing that I, I haven't asked you is navigating the dynamic of this world as a woman, sure. um, particularly in a field that is male dominated. What challenges did you have to overcome um, to be finally to be labeled the female Jerry Maguire? <laughs> and where in the world did that come from? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> CNN. Uh, I did an interview with them and, and they just that they dubbed me that. And I guess it's just stuck. People have sort of leaned into it and I think people can quickly connect to it. Right. It's real for people. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that like all of us, if you want it bad enough, um, the speed bumps are just part of the process. If you have a clear purpose, you can overcome those speed bumps. And, and I, what I strongly believe was that I could help these athletes in a really unique window of time. And, what I, I I was far from a fan. What I was a fan of was these guys have a couple years to 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 do what most of us do in a whole lifetime. And if I can help be beside them to maximize this window of time, you know that that would be amazing. And I so I didn't really spend a lot of time worrying about whether I was a woman or a man. What I worried about was being better than everybody else. You know, was mm. was was just being great at, at at what I did as it related to serving them and, and then being so good that, that the athletes that I did sign wanted to tell their bodies in the clubhouse, wanted to tell, you know, the, the other players in the locker room, right? I mean, being so good that they said, dude, I got something good here and you need it too. And then saying, how can my differences actually be gifts? How can they be strengths? How can they allow me to serve my athletes even better? And what I found was they were incredible strengths in the sense that, you know, I, I sometimes would almost recruit the wife if it was a male player and she would go home to her husband and say, dude, I don't even know your agent. Like I have no relationship with him and, and, and he doesn't call me and you get traded and I have nobody to help me. And so I put a team around me to help represent an entire family, not just the player. And that was a remarkable, you know, sort of gift was the ability to represent an entire family, you know, not just the athletes themselves. And it took pressure even off the player themselves because I was able to support you know, if it was a male athlete, again, the wife, or if it was a female athlete, the husband. So, um, you know, the truth is like all of us, right? Liabilities can become strengths. And, and um, you know, that's what I try to do is find the gifts in it. 
Wow. Now I can see why you got the label female Jerry Maguire based on that answer. <laughs> well, I have one final question for you, and this is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable, I think you've got to be fearless. I mean, I think you've got to be a little bit bold. I think you've got to lean into the 1,440 seconds a day that we have to uh, try to get a little bit curious about how to be bold and, and to know that inside of all those 1,440 seconds every day, that every time you do it, you get a little bit better and a little bit better, and then you can lean into bigger moments. And, and, and all of that bubbles up um, to allow you to have the courage um, to step out, to be different, to be confident in your ability to be different, and to be confident that that difference is going to make a difference. Hmm. Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your insights and your stories and your wisdom with our listeners. This has been truly fascinating. As a person who doesn't watch sports, <laughs> I've gotten to learn a lot from you. So it's been really, really eye-opening. And I love the fact that we took sports and you've given us all these things that we can apply to virtually every other part of our lives. Um, where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything else that you're up to? Absolutely. Yeah, you're sweet. So mollyfletcher.com um, is our website and everything's there. You can link to our you know, newsletter, you can, you know, Twitter um, is, is at Molly Fletcher, um, of course, on Instagram, Molly Fletcher um, as well. And um, so feel free to, you know, connect with us there and we can keep this conversation going. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Did you know that every Sunday, our community manager, Melina, sends out 10 key takeaways from episodes just like this one? All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter, and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60. 
Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.